Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest is a stage four cancer fighter and survivor. Felicia Labounty is taking cancer head on. I admire her vulnerability and her candor. Felicia, welcome. I really appreciate you telling your story. Oh my God. So I did some Instagram stalking and... It's really, truly incredible, like how you've gotten to share your story in so many places. It's been since 2018. And then just, you know, I finally decided to jump on TikTok in the last year's time. And someone was like, hey, like you should post your story on here. And I was like, oh, like I'm talking about it, but I I didn't, I'm not a TikToker, you know? And so I, I posted it. And as soon as I, it just hit a million views today and it just, insider took it and then good morning america and dr phil and people and it just like was nonstop. it was a it was a whirlwind but it was amazing yeah i saw that i'm not a tiktoker either and i've even wondered like should i take some of my best clips and put them on there just to you see. should you should it's I would 100% do it like i had no idea what tiktok was about like i'm 35 i'm not 21 like I was like I don't I don't know like and it you reach so many more people than you would ever think possible it's crazy wow like it's taken me I've had Instagram for like 12 years now and I'm just barely at 43,000 followers I'm already at 57,000 with TikTok in less than a year's time without even really trying like I'm just kind of answering questions and uploading things like I decided to start like just recording parts of my trauma because I had a very traumatic beginning to my story. And just besides misdiagnosis, my treatment in the beginning was absolutely horrifying and just all this stuff. And it is just like insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. I mean, one thing that you said was, you know, women have had to fight for proper care. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like is such an important message and truth. My mom is personally, she is a survivor. My grandmother just went through breast cancer this past year. Um, oh my gosh. To be honest, I feel bad. I'm 43. I know you're supposed to have a mammogram like at 40. I've never had one. I saw yeah, your well- story and was like stopped in my tracks and multiple people have like reminded me, I actually just finished nursing my three-year-old. And they say, if you're nursing that you know, a lot of times they can't detect everything. So I just kept saying like, oh, when I'm done nursing, I'll do it. I had a lump at 14, like one that became so painful and it also grew. It was a benign cyst, but I do have a history. My sisters had a a lump. So I, you know, I want to spread awareness. I want, you know, to, to share your story with my network. And I actually made a phone call 
to find out like if you don't have coverage, you know, how much would it be out of pocket? Good. And you should qualify. What's, are you in California or no, you're not, you're. I used to be, yeah, I still have a 310 number, but I just moved to Texas and I should have it. It should be covered. My husband just recently got a new job, but I was just inquiring, like if it wasn't right, like what would that be like for me? I wanted to it's know. It's fairly inexpensive. Like in comparison to like going through what I go through, it's like less than a thousand dollars. Like, but with family history, the insurance that your husband has, you automatically qualify for testing. Oh. Oh yeah. Within your, like your mother, your grandmother, your sister, you like, yeah. Like you all qualify for free testing. I didn't or not know free, that. but like without a doubt, like insurance can't deny you. You have family history and don't let any doctor or the insurance company tell you otherwise. Like if they won't do it, find a different doctor because within like, like my mom, her insurance paid for a full preventative mastectomy because of my diagnosis, because she had the same gene that I do, the BRCA gene too. And her chances of having breast cancer were like 87%. And so they fully covered oh, everything. Amazing. And now my brothers, my sisters aren't old enough yet. One of them might be, but my brothers are going in for prostate exams and genetic testing this year. COVID is really messed up stuff. And then even someone with a, a sibling going through something like this, it's just, it, it doesn't go through your head to go get testing. You know, it's just not a normal, a normal thing, but you 100% qualify without yeah, a doubt. I didn't definitely know. That's should. amazing about your mom. Yeah. Actually, my mom got it at 45, which is fairly young. And yeah, it's very young. Yeah. Yeah. She caught it early. I mean, my mom is like, you know, the generation that goes for all of her <laughs> doctor's visits. Like I'm the so one bad about like, that. That are super into it. And I was like, I haven't had insurance in t- 10 years. Like, I don't know. Like I don't even take birth control. Like, yeah, I, I was totally you know? like that when I lived in LA and I was healthy and in my twenties, like I don't, I didn't go for years. And now that, you know, I had a baby like almost four years ago, I haven't been to the doctor since then. Oh yeah. You need to go. Yeah. You definitely need to go get a mammogram and a biopsy at the, like I tell everyone, if you have a lump, don't stop at just the imaging, ask for a biopsy. Like how, like they told me mine was benign. So how are you supposed to know if you don't get a sample of the tissue? Like, I'd be like, no, I know some that was misdiagnosed from an image. My mom had it. I want a biopsy. The end. Like, if they find it like your sister, if she has one, like the end, like hundred percent biopsy, don't stop until you get one. Yeah, it's my like the mom, only- they didn't even cover her other side, which what a I joke. think that is like demeaning. That's a joke. Yeah, that's a joke. She needs to, well, I mean, it's probably been many of years now, and but my dad paid to have the other side done, but it wasn't. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, insurance. like I'd be like, but this, yeah, I mean, this was so long ago when I think with social media and just with like how in touch we are with the news and all that stuff, they're just seeing that. I mean, it's one in four persons will have cancer and one in eight women will have breast cancer. Like the food that we're eating, the technology, the planes, radiation, like just everything. Like we are just exposing our bodies to more and more things every day. And I still wear makeup and have drinks. Like I'm not any better than anybody else with that stuff. But I think that insurance and doctors are now seeing this epidemic of cancer and they're like, oh my gosh, like we were not treating patients the way they should have been treated back when your mom was diagnosed. Like I just got in a fight on TikTok with a bunch of people and like laid out a video because they're like, oh, well, you don't look like you're taking chemo. So you can't be that sick. And I'm like, do you guys not understand that technology is changing? Medications are changing that we only knew one type of cancer from TV shows and movies. And that was like, you looked really sick and you were basically dying in the end. Like we were not exposed to how many different types of cancers, how many different types of medications, like what it can actually look like when you have cancer. 
And so it's just changing. Like to hear that your mom was not covered back then would never happen now. Like that's crazy. I really hope that's true. What has it looked like for you? My treatments or? Just like finding out and yeah, the treatments. And <sighs> I heard you say something even too about the red devil and you had like a mm-hmm. near death <clears throat> experience. Mm-hmm. Finding out was super traumatic, you know, being told that it was nothing. And then, you know, going back myself and being like, Hey, like this is growing. And it's just like, I've never had a cyst. I was 29 years old. I never had a cyst before in my life. I'm like, how are you guys just dismissing this as like, Oh, the ultrasound says it's nothing. Like, don't worry about it. Come back if it bothers you. And I was like, well, that bothers me. But you know, they were like, your blood work looks great. I was the best shape of my life abs. I was internationally modeling, like living a really fun life. Like I was like, I don't have cancer. I don't look sick. I don't feel sick. You know, all these classic signs that you think are cancer, which now being in the community, you learn is like farthest from the truth. I went back and I was like, this is growing. And it was, I've never had a cyst before in my breast at 29 years old, my entire adult life. I've never had an issue. And for them just to be like, no, 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 you're totally fine. You don't qualify. You're not, you know, over 40 and you have no family history. Like you don't need a mammogram. I'm like, so I tried twice and there, the program denied me twice because I didn't have any insurance coverage at the time. And when I was diagnosed, it was, everything was so fast paced that I just didn't have time to really deal with it. You know, like I'm dealing with the mental trauma of it more now than I did back then, because it was like, Oh my God, it is cancer. It's in both your lungs, your sternum, your left breast and a lymph node in your armpit. We need to get you in treatment immediately, like next week. And I was like, what the F are you talking about? Like you said, I was fine. Why is this all of a sudden an emergency? Like it was just such a like numbing, surreal feeling of like, wow, I have to call and tell my family that I have a very aggressive high stage of cancer and I look fantastic. But my favorite time in my entire physical life was at that moment that I was diagnosed. Like I loved my body. I loved everything. Like my face was doing great. I was no longer getting like hormonal acne. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm loving getting older. Like this is awesome. And to be hit with that at like a peak where I was like, I'm loving who I'm becoming in my, like I'm coming up to my thirties. And I always heard that you would love yourself more in your thirties. The chaos of the twenties is over. And I was so excited for that. And so to be blindsided with a diagnosis, when I tried to do something, even though I didn't have the means to do it, I didn't have insurance. I, I found a way to all of a sudden be hit by a truck. Like you are going to be starting chemo next week. It's nine one one. Like you're, we need to do biopsies tomorrow. We need to do an MRI. We need to do cardiology. You need to see a genetic counselor. You need to do this. And I'm like, I haven't even told my family because we, I, I was like, I didn't tell them about the cyst. It was, I was like, it's like, whatever, like it's nothing to worry about. And when I was going through this again for the second time, when I went back because it had grown, I was like, well, I don't want to worry anybody until we really know what's happening. You know, like I don't need to share it a hundred times and tell everybody everything until we know we had also just lost my boyfriend's cousin to pancreatic cancer. Oh my like God. we, we went to his funeral a week before I had to tell his family that I was starting chemo. And it was one of the most oh difficult times of my entire life. Like I was like, how, how are we going to do this? And how was I so let down? How was I so brushed aside? Like, how was my life not important at that moment? But now all of a sudden I get Medi-Cal, I get Medicare, I get all this treatment, all these doctors, all these expensive testing, but you couldn't have just done a mammogram six to eight months ago. Like it could have been stage four at that time. I don't know. We will never know, yeah. but to just be so like, you don't meet these qualifications in this box that we've created because of industry standards that we feel fit 
you know, care, especially for women, I now have to be on chemo for the rest of my life and, and we'll deal with this forever. It's wild. And I, I can talk about it more now with like not breaking down or not crying. Cause I've said it so many times and it just is my reality now that I don't know, you just kind of cope with it in different ways as it comes. And now that I'm getting a little more steady and everything, I'm like, okay, I need to deal with some of this mental trauma that I went through because what I went through is really traumatic, you know, but in the time I'm like, I'm just trying to survive. Like I don't have time for mental health right now. So that's, that's kind of lot. been, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot to bury down and just like, you got to get through it. I was like, I have to survive like that. There's no other option in my mind at all. I have a family, a boyfriend, I have a future. Like I hadn't even become an aunt yet. I'm not a mom yet. Like there's so many more things in life that I want to do. Like dying is not an option. And so mental health was the number one thing that just went down, you know, deep down. I'm like, you got to grit through it and go girl. Like you don't have time to like cry and die. And, you know, I mean, I had moments, you know, you have your moments, but I'm like, all right, well, crying and curling up on the bed and just, you know, accepting my fate is not going to change it. And so I just powered through it and I'm now being like, okay, I definitely need to deal with some of these emotions because they're still there, but I still have to power through it. I'm yeah, they're way worse because I never dealt with them. And I'm still on chemo. I still do testing. I still do blood work every month. I still take medication every single day that saves my life. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out who I am now and what my future holds. And so it's just, it's just been a really wild, difficult journey. And then putting myself out on social media to be vulnerable with that is like a whole other part of it. You know, like you're really putting yourself out there in the most vulnerable ways. But I knew that if I could save one life, by telling my journey and being super vulnerable and like I share everything, then it's worth it. And that's just what I've been doing ever since. Have people shared with you that they're getting mammograms now other than me? (laughs) Yeah. It's those are like, I get a lot of, unfortunately you get a lot of negativity, especially like being a, a, I hate saying that, like being a pretty person. I hate, I sound conceited, but you know, being a better looking person and not looking sick brings a lot of negativity towards it. A lot of questions. Oh, it's horrible. A lot. I'm like, guys, I have posted everything in my journey since the first day to scroll back a little bit. Like, yeah, I have hair now, but it's tiny. Like I, my niece, my two-year-old niece has more hair than I do. You know, my, my chemo now doesn't make me lose my hair, but it makes my hair really thin and doesn't grow as fast. So it's just a lot of like knowing that I'm saving other people's lives and the good messages really outweigh the questions and the, the negative comments fuels me. Like when I get, Oh my gosh, I've never gotten a mammogram, but I saw your story and I scheduled it like that to me. I'm like, cool. Like you guys are just confirming that what am I, what I'm doing? I'm not talking into space. I'm not attention seeking. Cause I don't want to cry on the internet. I don't want to share this really vulnerable, scary situation, but you have to find a mission within your diagnosis, or at least I did. I know a lot of people don't like to share it and that's, and I 100% know why, but I just felt like I have this second chance at life in like a very cliche way, but another mission on this earth is for me to save other people. And if this is how I do it, then it's worth it all. So it's been, it's been beyond rewarding. And I modeled before I was diagnosed. So like, I love like, Oh, people reach out to me in good morning America. Like it's for cancer, but I'm still doing it. So it's like, I can combine my two worlds together and just save lives. And that's just all that I want to do with this journey is just help other cancer patients know that like, you can still have a cocktail, you can still go on trips, you can still look pretty and do your makeup and 
then you can the next day be dying in bed and crying and being upset. And that's okay. It's just showing people a different side of stage four that no one knew was there and finding other women doing the same story and same mission as me has been truly amazing. Yeah. On Dr. Phil, there were a couple other women who were misdiagnosed, right? Um, there was a few the, uh, misdiagnosed with other illnesses and other okay. issues. So it was more of like a medical gaslighting episode, but that just confirmed to me that like what I, what I'm doing is right. If I'm getting all this positive media attention and all these messages and people following me, then I'm doing something right with what I've been dealt. And I just, for me, there was like no other option. I was like, I can't keep this a secret. Like I can't let another woman go through what I've been going through. If, if, if I can have anything to do with it. Wow. That's amazing. Do you feel a shift in even how you show up online? Yeah. Like I definitely know that I'm definitely more driven and more accurate and more like, and I'm just stronger with my presence online because I get these messages. I get this following of people being like, oh my God, I was just diagnosed and you give me hope. Like I can't wait to be where you are. And knowing that I have people like that watching and listening, I'm definitely a lot more cautious about what I post and how I say it. And will this affect their mental health today? You know, because my bad day may not be their bad day, but it could turn into their bad day. So I'm just a little more careful about what I say and what I post. And I, I, you know, I'm like, Hey, I just want to give a warning. Like I'm having a bad mental day and this is my mental health. Don't, if you're not in a good mental health space to handle this today, please go on to the next video. Whereas before when I would posting, I would never think about someone else's like seeing my stuff and having a, a hard mental health day. But it just reassures me that like, it's okay for me to post about my bad days. It's okay for me to be really vulnerable about my appointments and what is exactly going on with my health because it helps other people. Have you reached out to any other people going through what you've gone through? Have you found a community? I don't necessarily, I haven't necessarily like sought after that. When I first started my journey, I was in a lot of the Facebook groups and it was not mentally healthy for me. Some people find it absolutely necessary and they need those groups. And for me, it was the complete opposite. It made me doubt a lot of treatment and myself. And they post a, a lot more, um, a little more realism when it comes to it, as far as like how many years they've been told they have left or what, you know, this doctor said. And for me, I was like, there is no space in my head for anything other than decades, decades, and decades. That's, I'm still going to live life as if I didn't have cancer. You know, I still have this whole side of my life that's not cancer and I'm not willing to give that up because of cancer. But I have found a handful of core, like a core group of women that are going through very similar things as me. A few are my same stage and a few are not as high of stage of cancers, but we have the same mentality. And that has been really rewarding to find those other women that are doing the same thing that I do, that are being very vulnerable just to save other women's lives. It's just created a bond and a strength in knowing that like we're making a difference. And we're here to help each other make a difference. And that has been amazing. A fellow stage four fighter, Annie, her and I have talked for years. She lives in LA, but I mean, you know, LA and Orange County, like it's a pain to get back and forth through, you know? So you could know no someone one for years that lives. Yeah. yeah. Like you could know someone that for years that lives 20 miles away, but it's just like, oh my God, to try to figure out a time to like make this work, especially to sick people is really hard. Well, Dr. Phil asked me if I knew anybody else. And so I, I gave them her name, not knowing that they were going to bring her on the show. And so the first time we met, she messaged me like a week before. And she's like, they picked me. I'm going to be, she wasn't in the audience with me. It was Annie, if you watched the episode in the yellow, 
And the first time meeting was on the soundstage for Dr. Phil. Like I walked out cause I was in my trailer and she was already there. And I, we like locked eyes and she came running and I was like, Oh my God. So that was just like such a cool moment to have somebody else that has a very, very similar story as mine. She was diagnosed a lot younger than I was. Mm. She's seven years in remission. She is hilarious. She's an actress and an activist and she is just phenomenal. And it's been amazing that social media and, and spreading my story has made friendships like this. Like I could go on and on about all these people, this lady named Erin, she's a 20, I think she's 24 years remission from stage four, which is incredible. And she actually lives in Salt Lake city where I was born, not far from my family. And we met because of social media. Like I went out there three Christmases ago and we went and had coffee. And it's like without social media, without posting my story, I would never have met somebody so far in remission that gives me like, oh my God, I can do it. She can do it. I can do it. You know? So posting on social media and being very open is a blessing and a curse all in one, but the good completely outweighs the bad every time. Oh my God. I honestly feel like meeting that girl (laughs) might've been cooler than meeting Dr. Phil. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely is just such a cool story. Like, Oh, when did you guys first meet? Well, we met online and then we met on Dr. Phil. Like it's, it's definitely a story. Like it was, and it was, yeah, it was really great to have her in the group also just as like confirmation. Like I'm sure Annie can, you know, relate. And she's like, absolutely. We are on the same page with this. So that was a really, a really awesome thing to have that support system while filming such a, like an impactful episode. I love that so much. I am curious too, like, how did you tell your parents? How did they react? Feel comfortable talking about that? Oh yeah. There's nothing I'm not comfortable talking about. I'm a very TMI type person. Like sometimes I have to be like, I probably shouldn't post that online. Or I don't know if you saw my coconut oil video that I posted. I didn't see that, but I've seen some of your tattoos. I want to know about those. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, fuck it. Like I'm going to post it. Like it's human. Like I'm not doing anything weird. It it, it happens. And especially with women, like we shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about things when it comes to healthcare, like things in general, because women are already so suppressed that we shouldn't feel suppressed to express things that are happening in our lives and help other women feel like, like I posted it just about vaginal dryness and what I use because I'm 35 and I've been in menopause for four years, almost five years. And no one told me things. I had to learn this on the internet too. So if I can help somebody else be like, Hey girl, you're suffering. I'm suffering. This is what I do. And I had so many other women be like, Oh my God, no one has ever told me this. And all the years I've been dealing with medical menopause, no one has told me this. Thank you. I'm like, cool. My boyfriend was like, did you really post that online? And I was like, I didn't really think about it until after I posted it. And I was like, and then it just, the views are like almost at half a million. I was like, holy shit, half a million people have had me talk about my, watched me talk about my vaginal dryness. Okay. If no one's going to say it, I'm going to say it. So yeah, I have no filter when it comes to anything. But (laughs) actually I do feel like that is a helpful piece of information. Oh yeah. I'm like, it goes back to intention, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is not weird. I'm not weird for having this. Like you have that issue for any reasons, childbirth, hormones, like menopause, diabetes, like you could have that issue with so many other medical problems. And if like, if we're not here to help each other, like who's going to help us, you know, because the medical field, as much as there is really good doctors, there's a lot of overwhelmed doctors that, that don't have the capacity to help, or there's not, there's no, Hey, you're done with cancer. Here's all the problems you're going to have. And here's where you're going to go to deal with them. There is nothing like that. At least that I have found. I hope that you've had some compassionate care 
because finding out bad news can be, oh my God, it, it can be so lonely and it can be so overwhelming. I mean, I've had a couple of miscarriages and some of the people who informed me of that information definitely could have been trained better in bedside manner. Oh, I have <laughs> Maya. I fired my first oncologist. She was and we could go on for hours and hours about her, but she was one of the worst physicians I have ever seen. And I worked in a family practice for five years and I, in a residency program. So I worked where they trained family doctors and you meet a lot of bedside manners. Hers by far was one of the most horrific, traumatizing. Even my boyfriend was traumatized being in the room with her and the treatment that I received. And we were just like, she pretty much had her hand on the doorknob the entire time and was like, yep, see you later. Horrific. Horrific. That's nauseating. But I have, I do now have an amazing care team. Right. I'm still building it. You know, I, I still need to find like a therapist and a gynecologist. And, you know, with COVID, it's been kind of hard to get in. But now things are starting to open up a little bit more. And, but now I know what to look for and what I will accept and what I absolutely will not accept. And I'm not scared anymore to be like, you're not the doctor for me. I've reported doctors and nurses. And I'm like, no, it's not just me. This is really horrible care. And you don't, you should not be with patients then. Like if you can't handle it, you need to be in like medical, I don't know, recording or whatever, you know, like you don't, you shouldn't be with people, especially people going through something like this. Um, I'm glad you had your boyfriend and I did see that yeah. your mom came out. I saw that on Instagram. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom has been absolutely phenomenal. We're both very strong headed women. So sometimes we clash and in good ways, you know, like we're, we challenge each other. And, but when we had lost both my grandparents to cancer, environmental cancer, they worked and lived on the army base before there was any real regulations. So we had been down this road before and I was petrified to tell all of my family, you know, I'm the oldest. I have how many siblings do I have? Three, four, four, four younger siblings. <laughs> I have a lot of siblings. I have four younger siblings and you know, like I'm supposed to be the oldest. I'm supposed to be the strongest. I'm supposed to be the one that's going to be there to guide them through, through life, you know, cause you need your siblings. You don't always need your parents. Sometimes you need a sibling. They balance each other out. And I didn't tell my brother kind of knew cause he's like my best friend. And then my aunt kind of knew because she can read me pretty, pretty well. And I was like, I can't lie to her. Like she's, she can see right through me. Like every time she's like, what are you doing today? I'm like, nothing. She's like, what do you mean? Nothing. What are you, where are you? Nothing. She's like, you've been doing a whole lot of nothing lately. And I'm like, Okay. I'm going to tell you because I should probably tell somebody, you know, I don't want all that weight on my boyfriend, but for the rest of my family and, and my parents, I don't have a relationship with my dad, but I did tell him. I was like, he has a relationship with my siblings. So I should probably tell them if maybe they need him. When I went to the ER, because I was just having a lot of not chest pains, but it was just a lot of discomfort. And I had never had anxiety in my life. Like I'd never been on anxiety medications. I'd probably had a couple of anxiety attacks that I didn't know what they were. I think there's a lot of young people that don't know that like our generations didn't know what anxiety was. It was just life. Like, like yeah. we were just like, I don't know. I'm just having a bad day. Like I'm just stressed emotional. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stressed out. You know, like we weren't like, holy crap, I need medication because this is not how you're supposed to live your life or I need mental health. So I called my boyfriend. I was like, Hey, like I haven't, he's like, you haven't slept in days. I'm like, I haven't, like, I haven't gotten a good night's sleep in days. Like I'm super stressed out about it. I said, I just, I can't breathe. I just feel like I'm having anxiety and it was past normal physician hours. I was like, I'm going to go to the ER where I'm getting all the testing. Maybe they can just give me some Xanax to get me through until I see my primary and we can get on, on there. Well, when we went to that appointment, 
the ER doctor, another bad bedside manner was the one to tell me that he goes, well, you can't breathe because of all the tumors in your lungs and both of your lungs. And my head just dropped and I started sobbing. I don't want to die. And my boyfriend is like, we didn't know that she came here because she's having anxiety. And you just told her that she has cancer in both of her lungs. And he literally just left the room. He was like, oh, and just left. He called my team because it was at the same hospital I was getting treatment at. And they called me like, well, we were going to tell you. And I was like, when, how long have you known? Like, what do you mean you were going to, like, I was livid. And they're like, and I was like, well, where else is it? Like what's happening? And they're like, it's in both your lungs, your sternum, a lymph node in your left breast, but we're going to take care of it. And I was like, are you like, what the fuck? Like, I was like, how do I not know? Like, I'm very in tune with my body. Like I call my doctors for everything. Now I'm like, I have this little tiny thing. And she's like, I'm glad you're telling me, but you're fine. She's like, Felicia, people with cancer get colds too. And I'm like, okay, but I just feel like I have to tell you everything. And we had driven in separate cars because he was at work. And when I got in my car and I was like, all right, like I got to tell him now, like this shit's about to get really real. You know, I can't put it off anymore. Like this is, it was just a time where I was like, okay, this is finally happening. Like it's, it's happening. So I, my mother lived in San Diego at the time and the rest of my family lived in Salt Lake city. My brother lived up North in Northern California. I just called them both. And I was like, okay, I called them separately. And I was like, I got to tell you something. What are you doing right now? And unfortunately they're both like, are you pregnant? I was like, uh no oh my god and I just had it was really hard but I just very emotionless just said I've been doing some testing and we found out that it's cancer breast cancer it's spread pretty bad but they say I'm gonna be okay or you know like I just try to reassure them I feel like I was reassuring them as I was reassuring myself it's pretty bad but they said that the the largest one is in my armpit and my breast the rest are really small and you know, I just remember both of them crying and, you know, my mom was like, I'll get in the car right now. And I'm like, don't come here right now. There's nothing you can do. Like I, I went to nearly all of my appointments by myself. Like I went to all my biopsies by myself. I tried to go to my chemos by myself, but she showed up to several of them, <laughs> several of them. Cause I was just like, what is another person crying and being in the room going to do? You know, like I don't need that type of support. It's just not who I am. I yeah. can control my emotions. I can't handle other people's emotions. And, you know, it was really, really hard to like explain to my younger siblings that like I, and I mean, they weren't like crazy. One of them, two of them were pretty young. The others are adults. And I was just like, listen, like, this is going to be really hard, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to fight. Like, I'm not going to not fight for you guys. Like, please don't think that I'm going to give up like this. We're going to do this. Like we're going to battle. I'm very fortunate that both sides of my family and both sides of my, or my boyfriend's family are just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal. And they just rallied around me and everyone showed up for a head shaving. I had like 30 people there. We made it a party. Like they sent me on a chemo moon. Like we just really try to turn this into a positive, like, okay, what kind of fun can we do? What, how can we make this not so daunting? Like, I just didn't want it to be this like crying, sad fest. I was like, I don't need that negative energy. I'm not going to die. And if I am, I'm going to fight tooth and nail until it happens. Like and all I need is just positive, happy, like, we're going to beat this shit. We're going to do it in a fun way. Like, I'm going to shave my head before it falls out because I'm not going to wake up and have it on my pillow. And I'm not going to be in the shower crying. And I do not want cold capping, which is where they, like, try to save your hair with, a, like, freezing your scalp while it's a crazy thing. And I'm like, I'm a comfortable person. I'm not going to sit with that shit on my head for, you know, seven hours while I'm doing treatments. 
And so my family was like, okay, all my family that weren't able to come for it, all put on these really cute shirts. My grandfather passed away, but I still have his shirt that he wore. And it's got like my first initial spray painted on it. And they all sat and had a party while they watched me shave my head and had drinks and everyone was just like, you know, cheering. And it was just like such a positive experience that that's the moment that I knew I was like, I'm going to fucking do this. Like I'm, I'm going to give it hell and give it everything I got. And I've got an army behind me and it's, it's been working. I'm three and a half years in remission from stage four. I've been no evidence of disease for three and a half years. That is truly amazing. God, it, I love the head shape. That's so <laughs> Oh cool. yeah. I was like, we've been together for nine years. So I call my in-laws. We're not married, but my in-laws showed up. They did like a huge charcuterie board and they put balloons up. Like we made it this like huge, fun, awesome party that, yeah, we're just, I was just like, I want to make this fun. Like we ride Harleys and one of the local dealerships put on a benefit for us. So we just like had awesome companies give us awesome prizes and the motorcycle community just came out and like really rallied behind me. And it's just every step that we've done, like there's been a lot of, a lot of negative and a lot of people that I've had to like completely kick out of my life because they weren't on the same headspace. They didn't like have the same thing going on, but 90% of the time it's like amazing people in my life that has just stepped up to make this as positive and not like a daunting, like sad, miserable funeral type thing, you know, like, they just constantly are like, Hey, do you want to go? Like one of my best girlfriends is like, you've been doing so well. Like I want to take you to Mexico on a vacation. And she took me to like this beautiful resort that, you know, I had reached out to and I was like, Hey, like I'm coming with my girlfriend. She's taking me on this vacation. The only thing I paid for was a flight. What fun stuff can we do? And they asked why. And I told them, and when we showed up, they had pink rose petals through our, they upgraded us to a suite. They put pink rose petals in the shape of a ribbon on the bed. And they had these pink cupcakes that had like fighter, survivor, like amazing. And then they projected, they had like a whole party for me, just this person they had never met, this whole party. And they projected on this like huge hotel, a giant pink ribbon. Like it was phenomenal. The support that I've had by putting myself out there and just saying, hey, this is what I'm going through and I want to make it positive has been phenomenal. Like I, it's insane. The stuff that I have beautiful. Have you got to meet any celebrities because of it? Probably not a very good one to talk about right now, but the, (laughs) the, the, the Chrisleys, the ones that just got in trouble for fraud for tax evasion. I have to look it up. I haven't met them in person, but her daughter, their daughter reached out to me with some of her concerns. And I haven't, Dr. Phil is probably the biggest celebrity that I've met. One of like my favorite ones was I was in LA at a benefit that my friend worked at a really awesome bar. Good times at Davy Wayne's. Have you ever been there? I haven't been so, there. Oh, it's so funny. You'll have to walk through like a vintage fridge to go into the, the bar. My friend worked there and they put on a benefit and my other friend brought his friends and this really tall, awesome dude was just like buying raffle tickets and gave me a hug and blah, blah, blah. And then we left and I got a Venmo from him for an undisclosed amount. And I was like, who is this person? And my boyfriend's like, God, that name sounds so familiar. But when you're going through this, you know, you're like, your brain's a mess. And it was one of the members of Slipknot. And he's been an awesome support, constantly checks up on me, you know, is like, hey, when, you know, COVID happened, so it's been kind of hard. But he's like, when we get a chance, like, I want to go ride together. Like, I'm here for you guys. Like, I support you. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I listen to their band. We love their band. And like, you know, they wear masks. So I, I didn't know what he looked like, but I was like, I have been very fortunate to have some really cool experiences, especially living in California. You know, that's the Mecca of celebrities. And yeah, I've just been really blessed to 
just be surrounded by a ton of supportive people with, you know, it's been hard to find them, but when you do find them, they're there for you. And it's been awesome. That's so cool. Have you learned any good resources like through your research that you want to share? And if you want to just even send me that, I could put it all in the show notes. Yeah, I'll definitely share it with you. There's a lot. I'm mainly just like, uh, like keep a breast foundation has been, I can't even, Shani is just literally an angel on this earth. This woman works so hard to bring badass events that are just like at motorcycle shows and supporting other women and artists. And just, she works with every freaking company. Like during October, you'll see keep abreast on all the cool shit. Oh, she made an app that will send you an alert on the first of every month to do a breast exam. And she had these amazing artists make these like avatars that like literally show you how to do it. And it's very discreet. Like, you know, there's some places that still in today in in America also that like talking about your body parts is not acceptable and talking about anything like that is not acceptable. So the app on your phone is very discreet. It doesn't say keep abreast. It's just like, I think the initials and like a really cool symbol. And it just sends you like a really private alert to like, Hey, do this. And then you click on it and you can go through like all these links to show you where to go for this support and, and for families to be like, Hey, I, you, you know, buy stuff from this company. Cause they actually give back and we give back to the foundation. And there's another awesome company called Brewbies and they do a brewery every year in the San Diego area. And it's just like a brew fest, but they call it Brewbies and they have all these amazing companies come with like crocheted boobies and like just really cool stuff. That's not old lady pink, you know, moo-moos and like, you know, (laughs) stuff that you're like, oh my God, like I'm in my early thirties and twenties and I don't want to look like an old lady, you know, like I've just found lots of resources for other women going through it and especially young women going through it and just companies that are there for you and can send help or help with your mental health if you don't know what to do. And a lot of them I found after I went through a lot of it. So it was really hard for me. I was like, man, I wish I would have known about this. And so the more that I can share to help make someone's journey when they are unfortunately diagnosed a little bit easier and dare I say a little bit more fun because it sucks. Like it's brutal. It is. If I could change anything in my entire life, it would be this. Like no matter the cool stuff that I've done and the people that I've met and the relationship that I've made, I would change my diagnosis. I would give up a decade of my life to not have cancer. Like I would do anything to not have it, but to have these companies help make it a little cooler. And like, like I like getting this sweater. I was like, Oh my God, like it's got a little pair of boobies on it. Like it's not so cliche or like, you know, mom is the word, like, don't have, don't say tits, don't say this. And I'm like, why? Like I'm dealing with it. Why can't I say it? And like, it's just finding these companies that just make it not cool, but just like, you're excited to get the gift, you know, rather than when I was diagnosed, people we're doing everything with good intention, but I'm like, dude, everything is freaking fuchsia. And I've never worn pink in my life. Like, why did I get the pink cancer? <laughs> and, you know, I was like, oh, it's not the one color I hate the most in the entire world. Like, I barely like moth. Like, I'm starting to like Dusty Rose. It's like about as far as I go. So to have these companies come out with like all black stuff and like, you know, fuck cancer. They do like all these really edgy things that aren't just pink. And it's been really cool to send to other people and be like, Hey, like you can have your family support you in ways that like fit your personality and still make you feel like yourself because in your diagnosis, you lose every ounce of who you are without, at least I did, especially for a higher stage cancer. You just are completely swallowed into this reality that you never wanted to be a part of. 
And finding these companies and sharing them with other people just to make it a little bit better has been amazing. So I will absolutely flood your inbox with other women that are going through it that are, are very open and very out there and love posting about it and love, you know, talking about the community and, and doing whatever we can to help change this. Like that has been such a cool part of this experience. Can I ask you one more hard question? Yeah. So I, I did see that you shared something about freezing your eggs and you got really emotional in that video. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the hardest, hardest subject. Yeah. But you ask away. Yeah. I mean, you've been with your boyfriend for 10 years now. Have you guys talked about, you know, being able to start a family? And what are your fears around it? And such a good question. My first oncologist didn't tell me about it until I was, that, I won't even get into it. It's a very traumatic story that I'm going to share on TikTok here soon. There was a long time that we were like, we don't want kids because we were, we were young. We were in our twenties and we were just living such a fun life. Like I was riding on the back of his motorcycle down PCH to like restaurants and like traveling. And I was traveling internationally and like, you know, and I had a great partner by my side and like, this is amazing. And I love my life. And but I was like, we're young. And that was always my choice to say, no, I don't want kids. But in my head, I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll change my mind in my thirties. Like, I don't know. And when we found out that chemo can make you sterile and that they were going to take my floping tubes, my ovaries to stop the production of estrogen. I was like, oh my God, like this has always been my choice. Like this can't be taken away from me. Like I, I, this still has to be my choice. So we got 10 healthy frozen eggs, which is fantastic. Cost me $18,000. Oh my God. It was brutal. We, we went through it very quick. My oncologist, my new oncologist was like, I'm going to give you two weeks. Then that's the max. If you could do it faster then great. And so we did 30 days of fertility in like eight days and brutal, brutal, brutal. It's been four years and we still, I dabble with it. Like I, I, I think I found a surrogate, amazing company that I'll release once I sign documents has offered to give me their surrogacy services for free of charge, which is like $45,000. That's amazing. Phenomenal. Like I was, because it's really expensive now. Like it was going to cost us like 60,000 to have a baby, like things that I never imagined I'd have to pay for that kind of stuff, you know? And there's definitely a lot of times that I have doubts in my mind. Like, should I be a sick mom? Am I going to get worse? Is it going to come back? Am I going to leave him being a single dad? Um, you know, like who in my family is going to help him? Who, like, what do I need to do? A lot of like my thought process when planning a family now is, how can I financially set them up for the future if something happens to me? Where you kind of think about that when you become a parent, you know, you're like, okay, I got to think about the future. But like, I really have to be like, okay, like I need to start, you know, buying stock in my kids' names and putting them as, you know what I mean? Like, I want to make sure that if anything happens to me that they are set up. But we definitely want a family, you know, it's, we're talking about buying a house next within the next two years. And I definitely would like babies in 2024. You know, he's going to be 40 and I'm going to be 36. And I think it's a great time. Um, I'm actually more happy to be parents in our later thirties than I would have in our late twenties. So it's, it's just, I feel like that's going to be the part that I'm going to need the most therapy in because I feel like I'm just going to have so much fear about reoccurrence and so much fear about, am I going to be a good mom on my really bad days? You know, like I just have to think like, okay, I need a really strong support system. I'm going to need a night nurse because sleep is super important to my health. And I'm going to need, you know, someone on standby. If I have to call and be like, Hey, today is not the day I need help. 
and it's just brings a different depth and level to becoming a parent than I think it ever would have without cancer. So it's, it's a hard topic. And I feel like we're definitely leaning way more towards having children and, you know, having a family. Cause I think that's, it's really important to me. He's a little more conservative and more like, you know, you know, I'm 40 and you know, is this, you know, what we're going to do? But then like the other day I showed him a pair of vintage Harley booties that I found and our faces both lit up. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want kids, you know? And I think being a mom is one of the greatest things you could ever become in life for me personally. And I just, I'm really excited, but I definitely know after the last four years that I need to go get therapy. I need to be mentally strong. I need to face the emotions that I'm having and know that my fears is okay. It's okay to have those fears. I'm sure that every mom, you being a mom, you have irrational <laughs> You make me fears. want to sign up for therapy too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a lot, you know, you're responsible for another human being and, and mom guilt is already so strong totally. that <laughs> if you have any other issues, like you got to deal with that on top of mom guilt and being a partner. And, you know, I think that having cancer has made me have to dive into my mental health more than I ever, ever would before. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't want to sob while my surrogate is pregnant the entire time, like wondering if I'm ever going to like be good enough or like, then that's another depth to it is like, oh my gosh, like I don't get to experience that, which is really hard because I always was like, dude, I'm going to do so good at childbirth. Like, I think my grandmother was a baddie when she did it. She did seven kids all natural and walked them out to my grandfather every single time because back then you couldn't be in the same room. And so to have that part of me taken away that I, I didn't ask for, like it was stolen from me, has been really hard to deal with. Like really hard seeing other people pregnant. So I'm like, man, I will never get to do that. Cancer robbed that from me. Like I will never be able to like walk out to and be like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. You know, like this is now a whole like paperwork and legal documents and like a process like it's it, it's still gonna be fun and we're gonna find a way to make it fun like we have with everything else but it's effing frustrating that something I never wanted and something that I try to prevent stole something so precious for me it's super unfair and and there's a lot of other women that are like I'm in the same boat like I have to have a surrogate because of cancer and I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm jealous of my surrogate. I'm envious. I'm thankful. And this couldn't be possible without someone like that. But to have all those really precious moments stolen from you is really hard to deal with. Yeah. That's real talk right there. Real heavy. That's like the heaviest topic that I, I talk about. Thank you for, for sure. sharing that. That is amazing yeah. truth right there. Wow. Also, you have mentioned how important your grandparents are to you like have you thought about what you want to carry on from them and like what you've taken from them and they were two of the most probably cry this will be the one time I cry they were two of the most selfless human beings I've ever met besides being my grandparents like until I was an adult I didn't even know who was my real family and who was just family friends because once you walk through that door you are our family you are wow. my uncle you are my aunt it didn't matter what race you were what sexuality you were what you wanted in your life if you're transgender if you were religious, if you weren't religious, it didn't matter. My grandparents just picked good people that came into our lives and they were family. Like my grandparents never locked their door. We were always welcome to go there whenever we wanted without asking. Coffee was always on. At my grandfather's funeral, he was the last one to pass. I spoke and I just told my family and the friends and I said, looking out at all of you, I see the best parts of them that they selflessly gave to all of us. And if I can take that mentality of like giving to other people so selflessly and having open arms, then I know I can make a difference. And so no matter how hard it is, I just remember I'm like, 
they had nothing. We didn't come, we don't come from money. We, we had nothing. And they gave everything they could to everyone they ever met and always did good by every single person they ever met. They were the greatest human beings on this earth by far. Wow. How lucky you are to, to come from that. So like every day I'm just like, I have a, their picture by my bedside. And I'm like, you guys were the best things that could ever happen. And they grew this huge army that is now behind me, you know, without them would not be these people that support me endlessly and constantly just anything I need or anything I do, they share, they comment, they show up, they come here. They, you know, like these people, my grandparents taught these strangers and their kids and their grandkids, what it's like to be a selfless human being in the most genuine way for there's, they don't want anything. They never needed anything. They never wanted anything from anybody. They just wanted to be good people. And they did it like in a way that wasn't like, I'm going to strive to be a good person. They were just good people. And every day when I, my dad's going to love that. I mean, his parents were that too. They were you instrumental know, in my life and in who I've yeah. become. Yeah. Like without them, I would not for sure not be the strong person I am today. Like wow. my mom worked a lot and they raised me and my, and my siblings. And they just, I just watched them just selflessly every day. Like no matter how much food we had, if someone was over, they were fed. No matter how much time they had, if you needed them, they were there. Like I never remember my grandparents telling me no, if I, if I truly needed them, you know, and no matter how hard my grandmother worked on the family all day long, cause she was a stay at home. And no matter how hard my grandfather worked to provide, they still came home and gave you a hundred percent of themselves. And I'm like, right. I got to live up to it. You know, that's something like, to aspire to, right? <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's what I strive to do in my journey is to do what I think that they would do. And I feel like what they would do is save other people. And so that's just what I do. <laughs> wow. I love that. Yeah. Felicia, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I yeah. truthfully, I told my dad about your story. I know that he's going to relate to this so much on so many different levels, especially, you know, your grandparents and, and my mom that has gone through it and my grandma. And yes, I'm going to let my dad like reflect on everything that you've said. That's kind of like the bonus at the end. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that. The most I can say is just, and it's kind of silly, but like, just follow me on social media because I put it all out there a hundred percent. And I'm always here to help people. I'm always pushing other survivors and companies and, and resources and just trying every day just to make one more person not feel alone or one more person get that extra push to go get a testing or, you know, it's really scary when you're getting tested for these things or, or if you feel that you need to go get tested for these things, it's a lot easier just to push it to a side and hope that it's nothing and forget about it. And if you can take one thing away from my story is to hit it head on, just dive into it. It's so much better to catch it early than later. My life is a true nightmare that I wish I could wake up from. And if I could help save one more person from being in my position, then those that follow me and, and take heed of my advice and, and really just take advantage of, of my situation and use me as an example, you're just really reinforcing and giving purpose to my journey and to the suffering that I go through every day. So please just follow me on social media, share my story, help me save other lives is all I can ask from anybody else. And, and if you're, you're doubting yourself about going for testing, or if you're having a doctor that doesn't make you feel comfortable, please know you can fire your doctor, you can find better care. And if you look for it, you will find help to get the testing that you need. You just need to fight for it. Yeah. I love that message. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. 
Felicia has really found out how life can have its dramatic turns of events can occur. What's ironic is that she comes from a background where she has grandparents that really showed or showed her that giving of yourself has tremendous value and that they set an example, call it old school if you want to, but where they were willing to do everything for anybody and help anybody. You know, you can be on a, on a high, traveling the world, having fun, doing what you love, and then all of a sudden, things can change dramatically, as you know. But my feeling is about things or material things or money or just having a good time, get caught up in all of that, and sometimes you then miss the real meaning of life. Uh, part of the reason why we're on this earth is to, yes, to have enjoyment, yes, to have a good time, but we have a bigger purpose than that, and it's to hopefully be able to share with other people and try to see if, if you can make a mark in this world by showing that you do for others and not just for yourself. And it's a big challenge. She puts herself out there and found out that by putting herself out there that others rallied to her. She says, you know, that's a great feeling is to have a network of people that support you. And when it comes to life, there's no second place to life. And she's fighting for it. And she wants other people to fight for it. Because no matter what, life is still the best, still number one. Yeah. The way that she shares so vulnerably and, and how she's working to spread awareness is really admirable. Right. And she's willing to explain all the things that she goes through, all the suffering, all of the challenges, all of the paranoia, all of the, the mental issues that go with it and physical issues as well, and is willing to not hold back. She's willing to let it all hang out and hope that other people will also let it all hang out and let's, let's fight this type of terrible cancer. All of us, let's fight it together. Let's take the bull by the horns and show that we can ride this thing no matter what. I think the second part of your interview is also just fascinating because when you're having a good time and you're traveling the world and you're beautiful, you know, I know several girls that their career came first. Look me up when you're 40. Maybe we'll get together then because they didn't really want to have the responsibility of children. They wanted to be focused on their own careers and having a good time and being with their friends and, and living it up. We live in a society now also where that that's, you know, has equal meaning. And uh, as you know, that there's all kinds of different walks of life now where Everything is a go, you know. Morality has been at issue where the real family values, the real giving of yourself to others has been questioned by a lot of people. When you're in trouble, though, all of a sudden we find religion and we find God. When we're really in trouble, all of a sudden, then we really see who's really there in your corner. You know, when you're winning, everybody wants to be part of the action. But when you're going through a tough time, sometimes you can count on one hand how many people are really there for you. It's very interesting that after seeing how her family rallied around her, as you get you know, a little older, you say, hey, wouldn't I like to have a legacy and have a continuum as well, just like my grandparents? And all of a sudden, now she really would like to be a mother. And yet she's looking at all of the variables where she wants to not be selfish about wanting a child, but making sure that he can really handle it. And whether if God forbid she doesn't make it, bringing in a child into this world, will she also or he have that support with the family and with friends? It's a very, very interesting twist of fate, isn't it? Yeah, it really does make you think. Because all of a sudden, that had a lot more meaning 
is to have family, is to have generational continuum. And that's what the Better Call Daddy show is all about. Be able to show that legacy, family values, putting yourself all out there and fighting to survive and to help others is all part of a beautiful story. I love that. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 